Hello, and welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Miller, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about free will, determinism, and not just from a theological perspective, but also from a scientific point of view. That's right, we've got a non-theistic, antheistic, evangelical, liberal, conservative, all that coming together in this crazy mash of an episode, stirring that junks up in a good way. It's going to be hopalicious. It's going to be brutastic. I cannot wait to introduce to you, my friends. Oh, it's a fun episode. But before we get into today's show, I want to turn your earbuds, that's right, your attention to a little alliance. That's right, you Star Trek fans. If you want to get a little nerdy, that's okay. We're nerdy. You want to call it an alliance? That's fine. You can call it a network. Some of you might even want to call it a pub community denomination, although without all the weird dogma and stuff like that. What am I talking about? I'm talking about brew theology. Brew theology exists to brew theology and also to create healthy, meaningful, and eclectic dialogue in pub communities. What we're doing in Denver, we believe, is is changing, is changing us. We believe that it could change the world. When you can have people who are atheists and agnostics and people who are Christian from the evangelical to post-evangelical Russian Orthodox Catholic, also people who are Jew and who are Hindu, an ex-Mormon, ex-Jehovah's Witness, male, female, young and old, and, and I mean that. We've got people who are baby boomers. When... Everybody can come together from their 20s into their 60s and 70s, and you can look across the table and truly disagree with somebody, but yet find some kind of common ground, realize that we're connected. I think the world can be a better place. So, Waco, Texas, I see a brew theology coming your way. Sick and bears. Austin, Texas, how about you? Hook 'em horns, come on, brew theology. A little San Diego, Pasadena. What about New Jersey? I got some friends who are saturating the state up there. I can totally see some brew theology happening up in the Northeast. Oklahoma City, where are my Thunder people at? I know I'm a Spurs guy. Speaking of of my Spurs, San Antonio, I want to be coming your way. So all all of this, uh, we want to go beyond just Denver. We want to create an alliance where you're not just using the logo, you're not just using the content, but we're creating friendships, we're creating a network where we share resources, we share consulting, uh, and there's different ways to get involved in this. Like if you're, if you're just, and I don't, want to, I don't want to say just, but if you're just an individual, don't think of yourself just as an individual. You can truly make a difference in this. We're going to have different levels of sponsorship. We're going to do a little Kickstarter action pretty soon where if you give a certain amount, we'll throw in a t-shirt, pint glass sticker. There's even a level, I think, I've, I think this is going to happen, where if you give a certain amount, I'll even take you to a Denver Broncos football game and a night at the Sushi Den. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. Uh, different levels of church sponsorships, organizational sponsorships, and even brewery sponsorships. We're going to have different levels where it starts with Pilsner. You know, the easy easy drink, right? The Pilsner all the way down from the Porter to the IPA and the whiskey barrel aged stout. All that to come when we get the website up and running. So in the meantime, what can you do? Well, you can like us on Facebook, Brew Theology. You can follow us on Instagram, Brew Theology. Don't forget to uh, give us a little wee, a little wee, a little retweet, a little tweety tweet here and there on the Twitter, the Twitter sphere. But that's all. That's at Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. You can also email myself. Ryan at brewtheology.org. And if you want some cool swag in the meantime, I can hook you up. So without further ado, check out Brew Theology. We've got great stuff coming to a city near you. And now get ready for some awesome theology. Peace. Okay, well, everybody, we are doing a topic on determinism and free will, a scientific perspective, philosophical and theological. My name's Ryan. Little intro, I grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical about 18 years ago. I stopped being that, and over the last 18 years, uh, I have gleaned a lot from the Anabaptist tradition, the Methodist, the Jewish and Pentecostal, so I am now a big tent, Jesus-loving, and a Baptist Methodist Jew follower of Jesus, 
And I love Denver Pub Theology because we have people from all of that and then some. And I'm drinking the Dillon Dam Brewery High Speed Quad. Delicious. Hey, I'm Monica. I'm a proud Denver native. I'm drinking a White Rascal Belgian style white ale. Has a devil on the front, so that's fitting for tonight. Um, I grew up evangelical, very fundamentalist, holiness tradition. We weren't really allowed to ask questions. That was sinful. And now all I do is ask questions, which is awesome. I consider myself a pluralist, kind of post-evangelical, and I am still a seeker. Never ends. So my name's Dan Rosado. I was uh, born in Puerto Rico, raised in the Charismatic Church, a couple of different denominations, the Pentecostal Church, Assemblies of God, and some non-denominations, mostly Spanish-speaking churches. And uh, in my college days, I flirted with Calvinism, which I always say is a mistake, drew from Orthodox Christianity, and now don't consider myself any of those. I still consider myself Christian, but I lean heavily on process philosophy. My name is Peter Walkus. I was raised Roman Catholic, very devout in the very the, the one true church. Um, and I really enjoyed being a Catholic kid. Um, did the whole altar boy thing all the way through. Attended seminary to become a Franciscan priest and after a year of that decided that wasn't really what I wanted to do. I. Um, left seminary and one of the things that the priests and brothers taught me was to question and after a couple of years I questioned myself right out of my faith and that was 36 years ago. I've been an atheist ever since and quite happy with where I am. And I am drinking the other half of the high speed quad and it's good. I forgot to say what I was drinking. What are you drinking Dan? You gave this to me, and I have, I've never had this before, but it's a Victory uh, Golden Monkey Belgian-style triple with added spice. All right. Uh, my name's Daniel, and I grew up uh, basically different flavors of evangelical, uh, non-denominational, and then high school, Southern Baptist, college, Sons of God. Uh, I was fortunate to have a family that uh, were, were also critical thinkers, and I like to. I would like to think I'm a critical thinker and ask questions too. But I have yet to be convinced to move away from my Christian faith. So I'm still. Um, I would still consider myself a Christian, uh, Jesus follower, um, and uh, so yeah, I, I enjoy pub theology because um, it does challenge my thinking, uh, and and so that's good. Tonight I'm drinking a Bristol Compass IPA. Brilliant. So everybody is good on their their beverages right now? No refills? No, nope, good. Okay. If we have bathroom breaks, we can edit that out, Dan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> our mothers have to listen to this, so we've also talked about our language, but be yourself. We can also edit that out, too, if necessary. This is my choice to use certain language, I'll right. tell you. Right. I'm choosing to drink this and choosing to use this speech. So right. Peter wrote this content, did a fantastic job. He's going to start us off, and then we'll go from there. Okay, I'm going to... It's kind of long, so bear with me, but um, Dan said that he will link it somewhere, so if you want to read it, you can. And there's a bunch of video uh, YouTube links and some other uh, magazine links. You can read up more on this. You walk into the brewery looking forward to another evening of stimulating God talk and a delicious beer. After saying hello to fellow pub theologians, you make your way to the bar to order. After looking over the choices, Imperial Stout or the IPA, you decide on the stout. You think that you've made the choice free from any internal or external agent and that you could have chosen IPA instead, but have you? Was the choice for the stout truly free? Were the antecedent causal determinants which precluded any choice other than the stout? Is there really free will? And if not, are we therefore not morally responsible for our actions? We know the universe is ruled by cause and effect. We also know there's randomness in the universe. So either you chose the stout because all of your prior experiences combined to make you choose the stout or the IPA, or that there is some random event which occurs which causes you to choose one over the other. Either way, you're not responsible for what you chose. You simply could not have chosen otherwise. The problem of free will. 
has been a central question of philosophy and theology for millennia. Are we free to choose whatever actions we subsequently take? Or are we hostage to imposed actions which, whether through nature, genetically, or even probabilistic subatomic particles, a la Heisenberg's theory, determine our actions? If our choices are free, then we're, we are also morally responsible for those choices. But if our actions have a cause outside of our consciousness, then we shouldn't be held responsible for them. This is why those found to be guilty of a crime by reason of, a, reason of insanity are not treated the same way as those who were found guilty while making a sane choice. Way, way in the past, the gods were thought to influence or even command our actions. Democritus, nothing occurs at random, but everything for a reason and by necessity. And Lucifus thought that since the entire universe, including humans, were made of atoms, indivisibles, which followed natural causal laws. In our time, neuroscientists say that our brain sorts through options and decides subconsciously what we will do seconds before we consciously make the choice. And that free will is only a trick our subconscious plays on our consciousness. We feel that we have a choice, but with neurotransmitters attached to your head, scientists can predict, can predict which beer you would choose seconds before you do. If our subconscious is making these decisions rather than our consciousness, are we really free to choose? Free will has been and continues to be vitally important to Christian theology. Adam and Eve chose to eat from the forbidden fruit. From those choices, all humanity has suffered pain and sin. We choose to sin or not to sin, to choose to receive God's grace or not. And our choices determine how God will deal with us in the future. However, some Christians believe we must wait for God to make us ready and that we won't come to God until that time. Some believe that since God is omniscient and knows what is in our hearts and how we will choose, that there is therefore no real free will. God has decided already who will be joining God later and who will not. The following definitions might help. Keep in mind that there are shades of each and that these are generalizations. Free will grants us the ability to say that we could have chosen other than we did and that we are morally, socially, and individually responsible for our choices. Determinism states otherwise. Whether our actions are determined by the gods, our genes, the universe, past experiences, or the atoms which make up your brain, what they all have in common is an antecedent cause. With strict determinism, nobody is responsible for their actions because they could not have acted other than the way they did. Compatibilism takes the middle road and states that free will and determinism can work together. They agree that a chain of events, God, genes, the universe, etc., has determined our actions, but that as long as we are not coerced in any external way, we are part of that chain. Because we are part of that chain of events, we are still morally responsible. Libertarianism, not to be confused with a political ideology, is the idea that the natural world is determined, but that there is another agency within humans which allows us to transcend the natural order of the universe. Whether this agency is the mind or spirit or soul is up for grabs, and we are at liberty to choose the way we do, and you are responsible. All right, so the first question, we have four questions here and some kind of four really kind of topical type things. But the first one is, uh, where do your thoughts lie regarding free will? Where do these beliefs come from? Is it your religious upbringings? Do you have a feeling of having a free will? And just for fun, you can try to trace your thought process back to see where your answers came from. Why did you choose to consider the evidence and not something else? So for me... I had a hard time with this. I really did. I mean, I because I, I, I feel like I have free choice, but I first ran across the free choice or for the, or the free will um, argument and determinism argument way a long time ago in college, um, and the antecedent causal whole thing. Um, and it made me think about it, and I've been thinking about it ever since. And I knew that as time went on, scientists were finding more evidence that things were not, uh, we actually did not have free will. Um, and it's a hard thing to give up, but I am a science kind of guy. And if the data's there, the data's there, whether I like it or not. And I have to go with the data. And the data's pretty strong, with neuroscientists saying that, yes, um, you have no free will. 
So I guess when I started the night, I was kind of a soft determinist, which means that I just couldn't quite go over the hurdle, and finally I have. So I am a determinist. Um, my subconscious makes these decisions before I'm even aware that I'm making them. And it just it lets me know what I'm going to, what it's already decided, and then I just spill it out. So what about when we were all younger, growing up? What does our tradition speak to? Free will, determinism, is this something that we even really talked about or thought about when we were younger? Probably not as a kid, but what did your parents or your church or non-church teach you? I had to really put a lot of thought into this um, to you know, understand what I really believed. On the one hand, um, the Nazarenes were influenced by John Wesley, and we were supposed to, you know, have free will to choose God, and not only that, continue to use our will to grow closer and closer to God and become a better and better person, that somehow we could shape our lives, kind of a co-creating with God sort of thing. On the other hand, when I was thinking, and I like that, it feels good to me. On the other hand, when I mess up, there's so much guilt as an adult because somehow I should have known better beforehand. Um, and then on the other side of that, there's this issue of when something bad happens, I can just say, oh, God determined it. So then either I don't have to take responsibility for it or, you know, I just don't have to feel that bad because it was supposed to happen. So I suppose I grew up to believe in both sides, really. So I grew up... Um evangelical and, and really <clears throat> free will was kind of central to our I mean, uh, Dan mentioned Calvinists and there's two strains of thought there but um, I kind of grew up in the free will camp that and I, you know I'm still there that uh, you know at the center of the Christian walk is a relationship with God the creator uh, with Jesus <clears throat> and uh, a true relationship a true loving relationship doesn't exist without free will. You know, I think about my relationship with my wife. You know, if I were to if I were to um, force her to love me in some way, it wouldn't really truly be love. It would just be me forcing her to do things. Um, and so it's it's, the, it's her free choosing to love me and my free choosing to love her that kind of is at the center of that uh, relationship. And that's kind of how I view the, the Christian my Christian walk. So that's that's kind of where I come from. So in the Christian tradition that I grew up in, um, they put a heavy emphasis on, on free will. I, mean, I think we have a similar background to Daniel. Um, and then in college, when I took on Calvinism, Calvinism was the polar opposite. Mostly because I saw it was a way for me to um, deal with hard things that I was going through at that time. So believing in a God that had everything in control and that could deal with the crud and make something beautiful out of it, I, th I thought that Calvinism was the best way because it went all the way. It said God predetermined everything and, you know, there's all kinds of problems with that for sure. But at the time, I was being a little selfish and it helped me. So I would agree with, well, not agree, but I kind of relate to Daniel and Dan and Monica growing up in this Peter you could say scientifically this was predetermined that I would land here because it does feel good and I grew up with this mentality of I have to have this loving relationship with this personal savior it was the whole shtick I mean and so now that I'm I'm still within that tradition but I'm post that tradition as well um, if I do believe in a God which I do and I say that this God is seen through this person of Jesus um, whom I love and follow, then that to me has to be a, has to be a choice personally. And then if God is this deterministic God, although I, we didn't get into all these labels as children or even growing up, so I wouldn't say there's free free will now. Uh, but if God is a deterministic God, I couldn't believe in that God. There, I just dropped that down. I couldn't. No, that's okay. Um, and I you know, and I forget often that I was anything but an atheist because I've been an atheist for so long. But So the Catholic Church is very similar to yours, except for, you know, the Calvinistic. But um, 
Yeah, it, it, everybody has a free will, um, but that's a central tenet to the Christian faith. So the Catholics are right there with them. What's interesting is, and you know, feel free to chime in. At least my upbringing from my the various churches that I grew up in, because I was I was raised military, so I went to different churches because we lived in different places. But there was this big emphasis on free will, like you choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, that's a very evangelical way of saying it, but that's what they said. But when bad things would happen, you'd usually have somebody comfort you and say, God's got a plan, which has a kind of deterministic slant. And I, for I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yeah. We heard that a lot. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Nice. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> What, did you guys grow up with that in, like, in the Nazarene tradition? Was there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the one hand, you had to carefully craft this relationship with God, and you know, watch out for sin and pitfalls, and and really consciously choose every day to have a relationship with God. On the other hand, when something didn't work out, you could blame God. So there's a dichotomy that I wasn't really aware of, but I started thinking of as we're preparing for this podcast. It's almost like when A didn't equal B, God had a plan, so it's, you know... Right. You know what I mean? When it didn't fit a formula, like you did all the right things and you were you felt guilty when you did something wrong and then yep. your life was still crappy or, you know, something bad happened, like you lost your job, you got divorced or something like that, and then it's, oh, God has a plan. And in the Catholic Church, they have... God has a plan all along, but what that plan is is often a mystery to us. So there are the mysteries, mm -hmm. um, the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the Virgin Birth, the mystery. I mean, these are all. And when I was a teenager, and I said something to my priest, it was like three doesn't equal one. No, that doesn't happen. Um, and he said, well, it's a mystery. And I said, so is mystery just another way of saying we're making this up? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, it was that. It's kind of like you have your cake and eat it too. So you can say God is deterministic when I don't know what's going on. And then you can say God is allowing me free will. Um, so, you, you know, you, you want it both ways. So, and you can pick and choose yeah. through your Bible. It's interesting because we let whichever we let, position you want, which you know you guys do all the time. Well, okay. we let we let God <laughs> off the hook right at times, and then other times, like if, if all things are good, yeah. or if there's this mysterious plan, then it's you know God can sort of do what God wants to do. But then if you really break that down, and these things are happening, and then you really break down this sort of theological question of God has the ability, God has this knowledge and this awareness of these things that are going to happen, and doesn't step in. I mean, th th this gets into the theodicy question too. Yes. Which and that's for another yeah, another day. Another, but I think it it definitely applies to this topic. Absolutely. You know? This is I think this is really the foundation of a lot of philosophy and theological talk. Like this is a starting point for most. So I would say on that on that verse that we've brought up that I know I, for I know I have the plans. I would say that's probably the most maybe overused and maybe oh, yeah. misused verse in the evangelical tradition. Because it's definitely not, in my opinion, it's definitely not saying God has set out a path for you that you're supposed to go to this school and marry this girl and live in this city and do this job. I definitely don't. I think I think his plan is much more like a, like a way to live your life. So it's very general, it, not it's, specific. It's more, yeah, it's not specific. Like I'm not, like I think I have, the, I think I can choose between, you know, the burger and the pizza on the menu without God having to play a role in it. I think he, there's space for him uh, to allow me to make that decision. Um, so I, th I think that's, for me, that's how I've come to reconcile that, that, that I have free will and I, um, I, I choose, um, my daily actions, but I am also kind of at the mercy of other people's free will choices so that, uh, you know, when I was younger and I didn't under, didn't understand this type of thing, I was at the mercy of my parents' free will choices and my pastor's free will choices and my teacher's free will choices, um, and you know, and you know, you can take that as many iterations out as you want, um, and and as far back in history as you want. But so we're still a product of our free will, uh, of free will choices. But I think that God has set up 
in his cre in, in creation, he has set up parameters. Just like in the scientific world, we have certain laws that we know are constant. Uh, I think, you know, I, I believe God created those constants until and, they're not. and those laws. Yeah, until they're not. <laughs> until we discover new constants or whatever. But it's, it's all revised. Science is provisional. Well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, earlier you said, um, I just go where the facts and data lead me, and mm -hmm. data says that... You know, we are, um, we are, we don't have free will. Right. Science is, so is it possible that that's wrong? Sure. Um, science is always, I mean, scientific results are always provisional. It's not even a law. And then people, they don't understand what those terms mean. Scientific law is a description of, of how things work. It doesn't mean, like, uh, like when we talk about judicial laws, that's the final word and that's, that's it. And theory doesn't mean what people think it means. It's not the same as in the vernacular. So the, that terminology in science is different than the terminology in, in the vernacular. So you have to, but all science is, is provisional. And, and that's a good clarification. Um, and, and, and the analogy still applies though. So like in science, we, we learn that if we do a certain things, you, you know, a hundred times, we can almost certainly expect the same result a hundred times, right? And so to finish my analogy, it's it's the same thing in our moral and spiritual choices. We can do the same thing, you know, a hundred times and we can still expect the same results or the same consequences in our moral and spiritual life. Um, so. so, Daniel, is it true to say, just so maybe Peter and others here better understand your position, you kind of see... I mean, it's, I guess it's not that important to the conversation, but if, if Peter wants to, like, um, critique something you said, um, so for, for you, God is the source of order, mm -hmm. which Pete would call physical laws, natural laws. No. Well, there was I mean, a... For, Pete, for Peter, obviously. <laughs> but no, no. I'm going to say no. Well, there was a question in here. Was it libertarianism or compatibilism? One of the two that said... There's there's an agent. Yes, the libertarianism. Whether it's yes. whether it's God or whether it's your soul, soul or what whatever. There's right. different right. sources. Maybe that's where mm -hmm. it ends. Right. Is that, is that where you're? There's a, there's a source for the order. For, so for me, yes, there is a source for the order, and that source is God, and that there is a purpose for it. Uh, it's ultimately, you know, communion with Him, and then I think ultimately, if we if we find the true that true way to live, then we end up living the most fulfilled life possible. And if we live against that way, then we do that to our detriment. And I just look at that, that the libertarianism is, I don't like what the science has shown me. I want to believe that I have free will, so I'm going to make up this thing that's out there that will allow me to have that feeling of free will. And so that thing, whether it's a soul or a God, God is bigger than all this and God can manipulate whatever, but you're just making that up, whatever that, that thing out there is. So I don't know if this is the right time to ask this, but in some of the uh, supplemental materials you gave, I think it was the Atlantic um, article where uh, they quoted um, a professor or a researcher saying that, yes, science tells us that there is no free will, but we should not tell anybody. Yes, that was it. Because, <laughs> that because if we do, then uh, then people will start, they will stop caring. Right. That's, okay, so yeah, last week in the table that I was at, one of the one of the guys was saying, I can't do this. Like my, what's my mind, if, if it becomes like a, a realization that this is factual, if science proves this, he said, then I'm just a meat robot, then I'm just some cog in the machine. Mm -hmm. And like th this dude was like reeling and it was hilarious because there were two people who were both, you know, reeling, their, their mind couldn't take it. And then the, the rest of the group was like, ah, who cares? It doesn't really matter. But I think it does matter. Like it's sort of like when we say, whether it's your science, or your theology or your philosophy, it does dictate sort of how you live and play out this thing called life. So maybe that's a good segue into the second question that says if science were to show that there really is no free will like Daniel mentioned uh, or the study that you mentioned to be clear how would that change your view of the future? Would it be enough for you to exist with a feeling of free will knowing that there really isn't any so you're just living an illusion, right? Well you're not living in an illusion that's not what it's saying and it's not fatalism and I think that's what a lot of people think of. If, if they think it's determinist, that your world is deterministic, it's not fatalistic. Um, 
But Sam Harris, when he talks about it, his, his book on free will, um, when he talks about it, he says we are determined. Our, our choices are determined by our subconscious. But what we can do is increase the options that our brain has. Um, environmentally, I mean, genetically, we can't do anything. Biologically, we can't do anything. But environmentally, we can. So more choices by giving people more things that they could do, that they could weigh in their subconscious to put it together. And then they, that is more, uh, I, I don't know how to say this, more things that they could that they could plug into the, the equation that's going on in your subconscious. So I have a question for you, I guess for the group. Um, do you see, you keep talking about the subconscious. I feel mm -hmm. like the... Your, the whole the premise of your whole argument is around the subconscious. So look, if we could like talk a lot about that a little bit, um, do you see the subconscious as separate from like Peter? Your subconscious? Do you see it as separate from your quote self? Yeah, you're kind of heading down the compatibilist road there. So because it's part of me, then well, that obviously though. is my choice. So um, my genes are part of me, so it's obviously my choice. It's not just subconscious. Um, it's also, you were born the way you are. Your genes are the way you are. You can't change that. And your biology, you can't change that. Your parents, you can't change that now. That has all happened. And that makes, that is a big part of who you are. Um, that's part of it too. Not just your subconscious, but that as well. The atoms within you the neurons firing inside of you, all of those chemical processes, bio, biochemical processes happening within you, you can't control. You can't stop them. You can't, you can't divert them. It's happening inside of you right now, and it's whether you want it to or not, it's going to go on, um, short of, you know, <laughs> um, shooting yourself or something, killing yourself, but it's going to go on. So these are making the choices for you. It's happening, and it's within our subconscious that that can be measured, and it speaks out through our consciousness. Yeah. So the reason I keep pushing is because you talk about something working against me, assuming that me is a separate thing, right? There's a dualism there that I'm trying to push back on. Yeah, I don't think it's working against you. I don't think that's it, because you're, what, what is happening is, I mean, and stepping aside from the atoms and that whole thing, the neurons and synapses happening, your subconscious is weighing every every choice you make or you think you're making. Your subconscious is weighing the pros and cons, and it's taking all the stuff that has happened in your past and it's plugging it in, and it's it, it's saying these are my options, and it's giving a bunch of different options, and it's choosing based on your your history and your past, um, which is the best one. Tonight, when Ryan offered us beers, which beers should I get? And looking through the different types of things my brain settled on that one. Um, so it wants, the, it's want, it wants the quad because it's a good dark beer. and um, It's the best beer in the house. <laughs> it's the best beer in the house. You chose wisely. And so, so. My, my, sub, it, my brain knew that. So um, instead of an IPA, it went for that. And why did it do that? Because in there, I've had other quads that I like. So this analogy kind of came up at our table. Um, and I'd be interested in, to hear everybody's thoughts on this. So on that point, uh, Peter, you chose the quad. Um, Ryan also chose the quad. You guys definitely don't have the same, you know, life experiences, right? It's separate, distinct. You came to the same decision. But um, let's say hypothetically, Peter, that there's there was somebody out there uh, that had the exact same inputs as you all throughout history to, the, to this very same point. And you're both presented with the same choice at the same time. Are you saying that a deterministic viewpoint would say, um, and and everybody else can chime in here too? But so what, what's everybody's view there? Do, do you the same inputs? Do you get the same result? Um, I, I know for me, I would say, I if if I were that person, I would be able to choose one or the other and not come out. So what's everybody's thoughts on on that hypothetical? I mean, you know, what about, like, mental illness, right? Do you choose... When things go wrong in the brain, I mean, is that... 
or and you let's say like um, PTSD, right? You're a soldier, you come back, and then you're able to overcome that. I would think from what you're saying, you could say, no, you can't ever overcome that. It's, it's in your brain, you experienced it, like we're done now. No, that's not what I'm saying. That was another experience that is that is giving you a bunch of options and a bunch of, um, they've given you many reactions that you have. I mean, if, if it's a traumatic reaction, you're gonna respond because of what happened, and then if that situation presents itself again, you're gonna respond in a way to protect yourself or whatever, but um, no, it, it's, it, it doesn't mean you can't change. Um, you can change, and like I said, more options out there by helping people with PTSD, um, showing them that there are other things, other options to do, and other, other ways to overcome this, whatever it is, the therapies that, that are out there to help these people, are there to help them and that then and that gives them more choices so would you say that from an evolutionary perspective that it's it's in humanity's advantage to help those people that are struggling from mental illness uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the rationalization is other than other than to do good and help people who are suffering why why would we give why would we care about the guy with P or, or gal with PTSD and want to give them different options if, if everything if all my choices were determined and we know this is a fact and why why do I care is it is it preservation of the gene pool and, and or, you know what what's the rationalization yeah I mean we we should do one on altruism um, yeah why do we care um, and that that's still hotly debated in the psych psychological community but yeah I mean there I get something out of it when I help people I get something I mean I feel good about helping other people um, somewhere inside my subconscious subconscious it is it is wired in me to help people and I do um, I don't have to I guess or I guess I do have to I, I, I <laughs> I mean, catch, and, and well, no, and, and what you said earlier, because I want to go back to that, if somebody led the parallel life and something, yeah. you can do that. The, the argument you often see in determinism is that if I could replay your life, Daniel, from, from your very beginning, the time you were conceived to this moment right now, if we could replay every single thing that happened to you, when it came time to choose that IPA, would you have chosen otherwise? Every single thing happened exactly if we could replay it. Would you have chosen differently? Well, sometimes I choose the IPA. Sometimes I choose the wheat. Sometimes no, not sometimes. Them. That last. Would you have chosen that one? <laughs> he brought the IPAs. I know, but what, what <laughs> would you have done? Chosen. You would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> so instead of the 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 you know doing the the cosmic twin argument, which you could do, but. If you were to replay everything exactly, you would have to say that the universe would have changed somewhere along the way for that to, have, to, to for you to have chosen otherwise. But it couldn't have because we said it was exactly the same way. You could not have chosen differently. Yeah. And it's not fatalism. It's just that that's. Where you have all these things, it, it, have can, led just, to. it can feel that way. I think it can yeah. feel like yeah. you felt like you had a choice, but you didn't. Well, I think I <laughs> did, but I know you. Let's move on to the next question. Yeah, let's jump to question number three. So, the story of Oedipus has him fated before birth to kill his father and marry his mother. Oedipus, in spite of all of his efforts not to let this happen, does just that. The Greeks were big on fate, but did Judas have a choice? Referencing Judas from the Gospels. If it wasn't Judas, it would have been someone else because it was prophesied to happen. Isn't this the same as fate? Is Judas guilty of selling out Jesus if he didn't really have a choice? Furthermore, loaded question here, could Jesus have chosen otherwise? Here we go. Were there other ways to save humanity or was his blood sacrifice the only way? Is God himself, or God's self, bound by God's nature to do what God is going to do? Could God choose to do evil 
And if not, then can he have free will? Which, where do we start? This is, this is loaded. Who wrote this question? That's a great question. <laughs> this is, you know, when I was, I don't know, I was a teenager and I was thinking this, that Judas was totally set up by God. And if it wasn't Judas, it was somebody else because it was prophesied for that to happen. So it had to happen. Who is it that made that happen? Well, it had to have been God. So God should be guilty of that betrayal, not Judas. So let's talk about Judas. I mean, whether you believe the story uh, literally happened the right. way it did or, or just choosing that story, right? Let's, let's just go there. So I think, so I think the, the, the cross is, is a result of, of you know, so, so God's initial plan was to, to use the Israelites as his image. And they faltered. And so he essentially moved moved on. And this, you know, this is, you know, my evangelical uh, <laughs> friends would probably uh, shudder at this, but just they, they, he chose he chose to move on. Like in a sense, because we had free will, the Israelites chose not to bear his image in the way that he that he wanted, it and kind of it impacted the way that humanity related and interacted with each other to the, you know, in, in a poor way. And so he kind of moved on and, and that's where Jesus came into the picture. And, um, and that, that's where the cross came in. And, and when, when God enters humanity, when he entered the humanity in the form of Jesus at that time, it's like, it's like humanity had nothing, no, no choice, um, but to react the way that it did. And, 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 <laughs> oh, oh, well, did you just become a Calvinist? No, no, no. no. Not, <laughs> all right, guys. I just heard the theology no choice to act on Daniel the just became <laughs> a Calvinist. That happened. I, I'm definitely not a Calvinist. And what, I'm, what I'm saying is, like, like I said earlier, so when, when you do certain, when you make certain moral choices, you you do, there are, to me, there are absolute truths. If I, if I, if I go outside and step in front of a, car it's going to hit me like there are just certain certainties in this universe um, and so that's I can't articulate it very um, I guess you know academically here or, or but Jesus you know coming in and living out showing us the way kind of clashing with humanity at the time that's how it kind of all played out uh, so it, it wasn't it wasn't predestined that God said you know I'm going to join humanity and suffer and die on a cross I don't think that if he had chosen I don't think that was his first you know plan so to speak but I'm not sure that it's biblical that God rejected the Jews I'm not saying he rejected the Jews I'm saying um, what I'm saying is that, that they're still his people but they kind of deviated from being his image bearer, and so he kind of had to help reform, uh, reform their you know their role in the salvation story. Does it help whether it's Plan A or Plan B that the cross was the next option? I mean, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm just kind of curious whether that you know God forsake the Jews or didn't, which you know there's debate there. Obviously, that's that that would be a great topic, or or just this this cross, this salvific sort of plan. And, and I understand what you're saying. I've, I've heard all these takes before, but I'm curious whether it's Plan A or Plan B, if it's destined or or whatever it's compatibilism. Um, is that a good option? I mean, for me, all roads lead to God. If you're Jewish and you don't believe in the cross, you're still on a path with God. If you're Buddhist and you don't believe in a deity, you're still going to end up with God. But for this particular thing with Judas and the cross, that's just one story that Christians, as they interpreted the events that happened to Jesus, who was a Jew... That's our story. That's our theology that we came up with. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just the story. It's the stories we tell ourselves. Just like the New Testament is a compilation of stories the Jews are still telling themselves about themselves today, the cross is a collection of stories that we tell ourselves, that Christians tell ourselves about. Life and death and meaning and free will or not is all revolved around the cross. Well, so I, I got to say that I appreciate a Christian... 
admitting that the Gospels are just stories. That's great. <laughs> well, so. I know I, I know I uh, am a minority, probably. But you know, yeah, they're just stories. But I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a story or not. But they, is, is the Christian faith saying that that this guy had no choice? They, they are stories, though, that impact the way we live. And so I was going to ask as a follow-up then is, if, if all roads lead to the same place, or wherever, wherever that is, how come there are some stories that seem to, that at least appear very strong on the surface, to lead us to lead people to do diametrically opposite actions? So, you know, we, on one hand, somebody's story might lead them to, to kill or be killed or, you know... Um, for their faith uh, another story might say self-preservation at all costs like yeah I mean you could say like the the Christian faith led to the crusades and killing of whole towns that um, you know wouldn't accept the cross and uh, you could say uh, you know Christians have done all sorts of terrible things um, as well so I would I would just have to push back and say It's our, I mean, if I had to choose, I would say we co-create with God, right? So it's like an ongoing story. Um, there's, we're not fated for anything. God is a creator, and we're his creation, and we co-create together into a story that hopefully is life-giving for people, no matter what you call God. One last question, and then I'll stop on this one. But so, would you agree or disagree with the statement that's that saying? So, are there a lot of untrue stories out there, and people within each of those untrue stories can discover the true story, or the, the true way? And, and not necessarily, not necessarily saying that that Jesus and the cross is the true story, but I think we all have a spark of the divine within us from birth. I don't believe that we're, we're born as wretched sinners. I think we were divinely created. Um, and yeah, we can experience that every day, no matter if we're left on an island when we're one and we grow up ourselves, we can commune with God for sure, yeah, I think. So, so I have a question for the group, because in this third question, there's so many assumptions, and I'd like to push on some of those and see what you guys actually think of it. Um, you know, Peter cleverly um, <laughs> talks about God having other ways to save humanity, or was this blood sacrifice the only way? Is God bound by his nature to do what he's going to do, right? And I'd be interested in hearing from you, Daniel. I don't want to pick on you, but it's interesting because you, you did, we were pick, making fun of you for potentially becoming Calvinist just right now. <laughs> and it's because of the way you phrase that, right? It's almost like there was free will, but there was almost an inevitability for Jesus to be crucified. Why is that? Was it, did it have anything to do with God? Was it just the circumstances? I'd be curious. I don't know. Yeah, so like, like I was saying earlier, like I, it, I think it's the, it was the circumstances. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily... It wasn't inevitable in the sense that at the outset of creation, God said, I'm going to enter humanity and die on a cross. I think it, it's more of a, and I don't know, I'd be interested in the process view on this, on, on the cross too, and that's, we can talk about it another time. But I, I think it's more just like he he is working with our free will, um, that, that he has free will. And to answer the question, I think, yes, God could choose free will or could choose to do evil out of his own free will. But I don't think he would, because just like I think there are probably certain things that most of us would say we would just never do, whether it's, you know, go down a roller coaster. Or, you know, there's certain things. It's just not in our nature to do it. And I think that's that's um, kind of where God is coming from. And I, I don't know other than what I said earlier that just. He, Jesus entering, um, you know, perfect man living the true way at the time that he did in the setting that he did. There was no, there wasn't a, like 
just like, you know, if I go out and step in front of the car, I'm going to get hit and I'll probably get really hurt and maybe die. That's just a law. That's just, it's not a law. It's, but it's a reality. Jesus stepped into humanity and he, and he's like, when, you know, the light shone to use evangelical terminology, terminology, when the light shone in the darkness, you know, it just clashed and there was just, that was kind of the destiny. So for you... God, that was a risk God was willing to take. Yes. And God's that's knowledge, fair. God saw that as a possibility and said, this is still worth doing. Yes. Type thing. That's, yeah, that's fair. So what's interesting about Pete's position with the, regard to this question, whether you're an atheist or not, mm-hmm. because you're a determinist and assuming that Jesus of Nazareth was a historical person and did die on a cross, you would have to say that yes, there couldn't have been any other way that um, Jesus could have lived his life because you're a determinist. Right. He did that all the way through a messianic complex and allowed himself to be tortured and crucified. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but it, it goes back to the, I mean, and you, what you were saying there, Daniel, it sounds like God doesn't know what he's doing. He's not omniscient. Is God not omniscient? I mean, and I think it kind of goes back to our theodicy question. Does God know what's going to happen or not? And if God knows what's happening, then he sees what's going on here. But, yeah. Um, so, and, and, it, and my question is, could God do otherwise? Could God, could God choose evil or not? And if God cannot choose evil, then he has no free will. And perhaps your God decided to not give us free will either. No, it's not that he can't, it's that he won't. It seems in the Old Testament that God chose evil many times, according to our moral standards today. Point. Yeah. I would say if I was the Amalekites, I would say that, yeah, he chose evil. I just don't think it's arbitrary. So even like the stories that we tell ourselves, and depending on how you want to view scripture... Let's go, let's go back to the framework of it's the story that the Jewish people have told themselves. And, and this is an ongoing story. I mean, even how Jewish people today interpret scripture. I'm not a, a professional on this, but from what I understand, there's an ongoing midrash to these kinds of stories and how it plays out today. Absolutely. So like Pharaoh, let's just talk about Pharaoh because that seems to be something that we would say conventionally is a predetermined character like Judas. And that came up last week. I mean, is Pharaoh's heart is hardened? But I would say that's not arbitrary. I mean, there's an element of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, I can't say the word because then we'll get an R rating, but he's a bad dude, you know? And, and so he makes these choices to a point, and then the heart is hardened. So I, I wonder about Judas. Well, Jude, wait, but who it, hardened his heart? Well, the Bible I, says that God hardened his heart. I don't know. No, not, not for, the fir- for the first five plagues. It's Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the, the yeah. six through ten, it's God hardened his heart, God hardened his heart. And, and I think even, tell, so beyond fundamentalism, and I'm, yeah, because that's true, what Daniel just said, let's apply that same principle to Judas. We don't have all the stories of Judas having a hardened heart or not. Uh, we know there's elements of Judas that we could speculate that he was a zealot, that he was the only disciple that came from a different region in Israel during that time, uh, that he had this agenda. This zealot kind of agenda. So he was trying to get Jesus to like, you know, do this thing. So now how John write, writes, you know, this story, because John, John, the way John treats Judas and, or John's followers, whoever wrote John, dude, they don't like Judas. Like he is a, you know, bad SOB. So I look at Matthew, you know, Mark and Luke versus John's perspective, which was written later. And there was a bit of that storytelling midrash applied to that. I just don't think it's it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this was destined to be. Judas was the guy who was destined to, you know, betray the Christ and then hang himself and yada, yada. Um, it's not that black and white to me personally, mainly because I look at Scripture from a Hebraic perspective in a lens. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the later gospel makes Judas the really bad guy. Oh, yeah. And Judas just happens to be a variation of Judah, which is an entire tribe of Israel. But I can see where Peter comes from. Because um, there is a gospel or multiple gospels that show Jesus telling Judas, go and do what you need to do. Whoever mm-hmm. dips of, of the bread and the wine or whatever, who drinks from this cup is going to betray mm-hmm. me, and he does it. It's almost as if, as if Jesus knew, and if Jesus is God, it's almost like he gave him license. So I understand where Pete is from. 
All right, so let's let's wrap this up. Last question, five. Can we do this in five minutes? Is this possible? Who wants we'll, to read we'll question number four? I'll read it. Our criminal justice system is predicated upon the concept of free will and just punishments for those who choose to break the law. Recent findings in neuroscience and genetics are upending this long-standing belief. Should those found guilty of a crime be punished even if it is found that they could not have acted otherwise? How should our justice system deal with those who are found that they could not have chosen freely? Bring it, Peter. You wrote the question. Right. Well, um, and the reason I, I wrote that one down is because I, I put that link in there with, from um, Duke Law School, which is a really good article, um, their, their law journal, uh, the law review. Um, but yeah, it's our, our system of justice, and using that term loosely, is really a, just, a, a system of punishment and not really re-educating. And going back to, to Sam Harris, educate people, give them more options, show them that there are other ways to do things and other choices, or give them not choices, but that, that broad bunch of options. Um, options sounds better than choices, doesn't it? Um, that your subconscious can take and that you can train and the scary thing about it is it reminds me of the 1960s and 70s re-education camps in China um, under Mao. And they wouldn't punish people. They would, they would send them to what they called re-education camps. And of course they were punished also. But that was the, the gist of that. But to re-educate people, um, to throw people in jail, yeah, 20 years for a third drug offense, what are you doing to that person? And is that is that really, I mean, that's just a punishment that doesn't make any type of sense. But then you have, on the other hand, and, and you brought this up, Monica, if you have somebody who's mentally unstable, are they responsible for their actions? Is John Hinckley, was he responsible for what he did? I mean, the man was clearly insane. Should we have locked him up in a hole somewhere for the rest of his life because of what he did, because he could not have chosen otherwise. But on the other hand, you have Jeffrey Dahmer who could not have chosen otherwise either. And do you want him running the streets? Nope. I don't think anyone wants him out. So um, you have those type of things. You do sometimes have to lock up people because they are definitely a, a threat to society because they will continue to choose badly or their brains will make them do these things repeatedly, even if you try to re retrain the mind, it will continue. The mind is, is is sick. So you don't think there's any kind of like rehabilitation to retrain your brain? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, is you but, give your... You but give you, would your let, you wouldn't allow these certain people out in the, in the real world? No, I no. mean, there are okay. some that I don't think you could ever allow out. I so think, yeah. There is a point of no return. Uh, yeah, well, John Hinckley just got out. Um, John Hinckley just left jail, so he's under house, kind of house arrest. His mom, he has to stay with his family. He's wearing a, an ankle uh, bracelet thing so he can be tracked. Um, but he's out. He's free. And I don't think that he really understood what he had, he had done. Um, should he be, like, just, I mean, I remember when that happened, people said throw him away, you know, execute him, whatever, do these things. But it, clearly he was... He did it for Jodie Foster. <laughs> so the guy was not right in the head. We know that. So yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, some people there, there is no reclaiming, I mm -hmm. guess. So, so we need to, we need to look at protecting society. Jeffrey Dahmer, I don't know that he would ever be fixed. What about in my job, the flip side of this? Why would I want to work the extra hour? Why would I want to, um, if, you know, what, what, what is my incentive? Um, and, and I guess what, maybe the better question is, what is the incentive of my boss, my manager, to give me a raise, to give me, you know, a pat on the back and say, good job, the, the, the whole praise. Why, I'm just determined to do what I'm doing so what, what's what's the incentive for, for praise? Like uh, for your boss? Yeah. For okay. My boss. So because you asked two things for you, because you want to do well because you're rewarded for it. 
um, by pay and by at a voice at, at work. Your yeah. boss, so he keeps you. If you're doing a good job, he wants to keep you. She wants to keep you. So she will do whatever it takes, giving you more money, giving you better benefits, um, giving you attaboys, you know, in the parking space out front, because he, she wants to keep you on. There is incentive. Um, there's a, a, a capital of incentive to do that, a financial incentive. I can't quite put my finger on it here, but I, I just feel like there's. I feel like that's like the fulcrum there is free will. It's not free will. I mean, has that if if we had somebody that was put in that position that had never managed anybody before, maybe they wouldn't do that. Yeah. But let's assume that your supervisor has done that and has had people or has seen what happens when you give people raises and bonuses and whatever. They see what happens. They keep good people in. Yeah, so, so I guess maybe that sums up the night. I say it's free will, and you say it's not free will. Yeah. Does that yeah. sum it up? You can't <laughs> say that. You just can't hope so. Dan's got a last word, and yeah. Monica well, so, wants to add something. Yeah, yeah so on the question of the criminal justice system, how that would change things or what the ramifications are, this is where I could see, even if I my personal belief was that free will is reality and not determinism, if there was enough evidence that would convince the criminal justice system to actually do justice um, in rehabilitative care or restorative justice, I would go in all the way. Because I think that's a huge factor in society, even if I thought that free will was true. Or, um, and then I'd just have to, and, it, and if, you know, time showed that it was true, then I'd, you know, work on my theology or whatever but that's something when we bring the human aspect to it it makes a big difference for me personally and that's why going back why does it matter why does the question of free will matter and this is why that's why I put it the very last question it does matter it matters to everyone that has done something morally wrong it matters to all of us because we are we support the state our government, the way they handle those people mm. with our taxes and our votes, and we do that. We we financially support that. And, and Ryan's from Texas, and they're big on electrocuting people. And that's their, they want punishment. Yeah. And, and they stand outside the courthouse, fry, 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 with the signs. And it's in the financial interest of a lot of people, not just big corporations, but us individually. If you have a 401k, you are you know, profiting from the private prison industry. Yes. Get up. Interesting choice. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up with a PS right here. So we'll go around, and you have to actually sit, say so. Name, and are you a free will <laughs> adherent? Are you a determinist person? Are you a compat compatibilism? Compatibilism. Compatibilist. Compatibilist. Yes. Uh, we're a libertarian, and not in the hashtag Fila Johnson sense. And then, and then, real quickly, just say that. And then, if you do believe in God, or if you don't, doesn't matter. If God it does exist, which one is God? So I am. Whoa. I think I'm. I'm a compatibilist. I think I'm there. And I think that if I would label God, which is tough to do, I would say God would also be a compatibilist with some libertarianist qualities, a step above us. I'll say that. Yeah, I'm Monica again. Um... I really, really want to believe in free will, but since, you know, I'm not a millionaire at age 34, maybe there's not free will, so maybe I'm more of a compatibilism as well. God... That's a tricky one. That's too hard. I think God has free will, and I think he, he can decide what to do no matter what we do. I think it'd be boring to be God and like not and have every and have no free will with his little humans. I don't understand why God would do that. This is too hard of a question. <laughs> that, that, I don't know. Not a tough one. So I, I hate all these categories, but if I had to choose, probably 
a soft compatibilist leaning towards somewhat determinist. And the reason I say that is because I think the source of novelty is God. I mean, that's a whole other episode. And God is an agent among other agents. So God has as much free will as we do. And if it turns out that we don't, what does that say about God? I don't know. We will find out someday. I'm open. Okay, so I'm a determinist and an atheist, so the entire <laughs> God thing is that the term is, it doesn't make sense to me. It's nonsensical. Um, so I'm there with the whole God, you know, whatever. There are too many issues with the God. So you should just leave God out of it, guys, really. <laughs> Drop that God thing. So from one, the, one end of the spectrum to the other, I'll say that I, I believe humans have free will, and I also think God has free will. I think we are, as humans, we, what we see as maybe deterministic is just a lot of it is um, the result of free will decisions of people around us and throughout history. So, Thank you all. This was a fun night. Yeah. So go home and you know wreck your brain if this is not for you then throw this podcast out but please subscribe and do a little like a little share a little brew theology on twitter and facebook as well so peace out guys